Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. We've just finished our first week of European competition in 2020 with PSG, the sole representatives this week for France, and we'll be discussing their clash with Dortmund in just a moment. In this episode, we'll also take a look forward to some of the matches due to be played this weekend in Ligue 1, including Nantes' trip to Marseille and Lille's clash with Toulouse. I'm your host, Lewis McParlin, and today I'm joined once again by Mr. Thomas Wiseman, late but here anyway. Uh, so, Thomas, outside of PSG's clash with Dortmund that you're not going to discuss for a few more minutes, so please don't give the score away just yet, how did you enjoy the return of the Champions League and Europa League? Uh, yeah, it's always fun. Um, uh, it's good to see, you know, well, I'd like to see more French teams competing, but there's always French players on the on the continent playing and um, yeah, it's always interesting. I also have Mr. Jeremy Smith with me for this one. And yeah, just what Thomas was saying there is a little bit sad that at this stage of the competition, we don't have a few more French teams in and amongst, in and amongst the games, Jeremy. Yeah, I think it, it probably says a lot that there's not many French teams, but there's a hell of a lot of French players that, you know, it's been going on for a long time now that the, the French mm. league is probably poached more than most, most others in terms of, you know, take, taking away the, the best players and certainly the best young players. So it's good for French football in a way, but it's bad for, for the French league. Right. And we also have Mr. Clinton McDubis joining us on the show. Again, just continuing on from that point, do you think the teams going into the European competition next season, you know, it's still not decided yet, of course, but do you think French teams look a bit more better equipped to go and play in Europe or will it be a bit more of the same? Because, you know, we had teams like Rennes and Strasbourg, Saint-Étienne, yeah. Lyon, Lille and PSG in it, but none of them really bar PSG you could say Leon a wee bit, have really left their mark on, on the competition, Clinton. Yeah, hi, Lewis. Um, yes, I think, um, I don't think most of them are equipped for Europe yet. Um, there's a reason why I always want the bigger teams to qualify, the Monacos and the Leons, because um, somehow we know that by the end of the season, when season is over, when they've had the seasons that they've had and they've qualified for Europe, it's less likely for them to sell half their spine or something. But with those um, smaller clubs, with those, um, I wouldn't say smaller clubs, but those clubs with um, smaller resources, um, like um, Run and Strasbourg, there's always the tendency that they will sell someone important or something, or they would have it you know, more difficult because of a lack of experience. And at this point in time, I don't think that's what um, French football needs because obviously the coefficient is on the line and all of that. So France needs to put its best foot forward. Yeah. So um, as it is now, if, for instance, Monaco make it to Europe and um, Lyon make it, I'll be very satisfied because in my head I'm thinking, okay, if Monaco get back into the Champions League, they are going to, you know, represent very well because of, you know, the kind of, team they have and the resources they have and you just expect better from them compared to say Lille like we've seen you know this season so mm. I think it just depends on the team really and uh, I'm really rooting for the bigger clubs to make it like Marseille and Monaco and Lyon I think that would help no underdog story here uh, and finally making his first appearance of the season on the preview show is Mr Lee Davey Lee is pretty much, as I gather, Mr. PSG, and he was actually at the Dortmund-Paris game on Tuesday. Lee, just before we talk about the actual game in detail, firstly, how how is Dortmund? Is it a nice city? Very nice city, yeah. Nice, friendly people. Uh, very small, very um, cosmopolitan. All of your main, main high street stores. Now, we'll talk about shopping a lot because that's pretty much what it is. It's shopping in, it, in, in its football stadium. And that's that kind of makes up Dortmund, but um, nice only an hour's flight, so quite easy to get to, certainly from the UK. And as I said, just uh, really nice, friendly um, place to go. Definitely would go and visit again. Yeah, I'd love to go, and I've never been for like a Bundesliga match or anything like that. I'd, I'd love to go sometime. I think the league looks looks class, and the Westfield Stadium for Dortmund would be sick to go see. Uh, okay, let's talk about the one Champions League game that involved French teams this week. And this was, like I said, Borussia Dortmund, and they're hosting of PSG. 
It finished 2-1 in the first leg to the Germans with the star boy Erling Haaland getting two goals and the, the main man for PSG, Neymar, equalising before Haaland really took control of the game. 2-1 to Dortmund. And firstly, it was a game that had been getting a lot of hype. PSG, a lot of silky attacking players, Mbappe, Neymar, etc. Dortmund the same with Sancho and Haaland, Brandt and, and Hazard and whatnot. Firstly, Lee, did the game live up to expectations? Was it an all-out attacking affair from both teams? Um, I bet it's a frustrating first half. I'm, I watch a lot of Dortmund. I watch a lot of Bundesliga and I generally watch Dortmund week in, week out. So I kind of knew what to expect from them. And obviously, you know, um, regularly watch, watching Paris Saint-Germain, I thought I had a good idea of how the game was going to go. The first half was really disappointing and frustrating, whether I think you are a neutral or, or a fan of either side. Um, I expected goals. I expected a little more end-to-end where the game was very stretched. Um, but it, there was a lot of movement. There was a lot of action going certainly mid, in midfield areas, but not really too many did really great chances, certainly from a PSG perspective. Um, and I have to talk from a PSG perspective because that's why I was at the game. Um, it was it was frustrating first off. It wasn't a great watch, but obviously when um, Haaland scored the first goal, it kind of burst into life, and actually PSG started to to get moving a little bit. Started to you know make a few one twos, and Mbappe started to connect a little bit with Neymar. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't fantastic for the ninety minutes, but it just started to play a little bit when they went a goal behind. Um, it wasn't the greatest game I've been to. It wasn't the game I thought it was going to be. But um, I thought that Dortmund were full value for the victory. Uh, they were more aggressive. They covered more ground. They won their individual battles and and certainly deserved the victory on the night. Yes, yeah, so you said it took PSG a little bit of time to get going Something that was talked about a lot just ahead of kickoff was this presumed tactical switch that PSG went with. They've usually played with a, a four-man defence. You know, you've heard so much about the Fantastic Four and that kind of four-four-two setup that should, that has done so well for them for much of this season. But they switched to a back, back at centre back alongside Thiago Silva and Presnel Kimpembe. Thomas Wiseman, what do you think prompted this this tactical switch up and more importantly, do you think it worked or do you think it kind of held PSG back? It definitely didn't. Um, it just it just baffles me because it was clear that playing the 4-4-2 didn't give them enough protection. So I don't get why Tuchel just kept, kept that system because the whole point, I mean, the PSG season... You know, we talk about a league, it comes down to the Champions League. And if you're preparing your team for, for you know, months at the start of the season and he he, he begins implementing this 4-4-2 system and he doesn't stick to it, what does that, what does that say? I don't, it doesn't, it just confuses me why, um, why he would stick to that and then swap to a different system that the players really aren't that used to um, for such a, a big game. Mm. Lee, do you think watching the game in the flesh, do you think that definitely held back PSG? I know a lot was said about Idrissa Gay and Marco Verratti, as much as Verratti specifically had a very good game, it had them a little bit in no man's land because they were so used to playing this four four man defence and playing four four two, but it was just something new that hasn't really been used except for, for Dijon. How was it watching it in the flesh? Did you see the kind of struggles that the players went through? Massively, yeah, absolutely. It was. Uh, it didn't look right from the start. I was at Manchester City four years ago in the quarterfinal, and um, I remember Laurent Blanc doing something very similar, where he set up the team. Um, I, th- I think he did a very similar formation, if I remember rightly. He set up the team in a formation that they'd not played all season, and I was outside the signal doing the park when I was on, on, on my Twitter feed, and I got the news in that it was a three-four-three, and straight away I, I felt I got that same feeling that I got in Manchester four years ago and I just thought, ah, this is not going to work. Something doesn't feel right tonight. And you could see, you could see within five five minutes of the game that something wasn't clicking, something wasn't right. You know, there was, the players just didn't seem comfortable. Now, okay, you could argue that players should be able to, you know, adapt to different situations. But I think with the way PSG have kind of reverted to 4-4-2 um, recently, we, you know, I, I suppose we all expected that really to them to go four four two, and it didn't happen. And 
I, I remember turning to my friend in the stadium, a good friend of mine, and said to him, this is his job on the line. Tom, Thomas Tuchel, this is his job on the line. Same as, it, same as it was for Laurent Blanc four years ago. And you could just, the players didn't adapt very well to it. I thought they were clumsy. I thought they were poor in possession, particularly midfield. Ball retention was horrible. Idrissa Gay, um, you know, um, Neymar was probably the biggest culprit of, of losing the ball in those middle areas. And that was really, really frustrating. Um, going back to what you were saying about Verratti, I thought he put himself about really well. But, of course, Verratti then lets himself down with silly yellow cards, which he still hasn't got out of his game yet. But apart from that, he was one of the PSG players that I, I thought, you know, could hold his head up high until that moment. Um, but it just didn't look good. It didn't feel right. It, it, everything was slow. Play was laboured. You know, as I said before, ball retention it was poor. Um, and they, in the end, they basically got what they deserved. Um, now, PSG... I've got an opportunity to overturn that in three weeks' time. And they're lucky to be in a position where they can potentially overturn that with a one-goal victory. Um, obviously, a lot harder said than done. Uh, sorry, easier said than done, I should say. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think a bit of soul-searching needs to go on after that, certainly. Do you think, though, you know, like I said, a lot was said about this tactical switch-up and that it didn't really come off. Do you think PSG got off quite lately? considering that Dortmund in the last few weeks have put four past Frankfurt, uh, three past Leverkusen, five past Berlin, five past Cologne, five past Augsburg. You know, they've been scoring for fun. So do you think that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the game as a whole, the defence held up okay, only conceding two against an attack of, of Sancho and Haaland and Hazard? Or do you think PSG should have been going, no, we should have we should have won this match? Like, our, our standards are that high, Lee. Absolutely. I mean, this team has been primed and put together for a Champions League success. Now, anybody that watches Dortmund who has watched Dortmund can see that their defence has been pretty shaky. And for me, PSG didn't get at Dortmund's defence, and that was really their weakest area. Um, we know that Dortmund are, you know, they're fairly good in midfield. Nothing fantastic, but fairly good in midfield. Um, their, their strengths are in their attack, no doubt about it, with their pace and, and their finishing in attack. But defensively, they've been suspect all season. And PSG didn't exploit that well enough, nowhere near well enough. PSG, if they harbour ambitions of winning this competition, then they have to go and win big away from home in the Champions League in a knockout tie. It's been a long time since that's happened. I've, I believe Chelsea, um, I think four years, four or five years ago. So it's been a long time since they've won a knockout tie on the road. And... Of course, if you if you want to win the competition, you have to win games like this. Or at least, if you can't win, don't lose it. So, in regards to that, um, it was poor. It, 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 it was a really poor performance. But I think, you know, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked about the credentials of this team, about management in certain situations. Um, I mean, we talk about the mindset of the players, and we've been doing this since since, you know, the debacle in Barcelona three years ago. But it seems that lessons are not being learned. And I think that's the most difficult thing. I mean, you talked about Dortmund scoring for fun, but PSG have been scoring for fun as well. But really didn't look like scoring the other night. So, you know, I put it down to the performance on the night. And, you know, again, we, we, we looked at PSG on Saturday, going 4-3 up at Amiens, and then, you know, a lapse in concentration, and they have to settle for a point. And it happened again. You know, it happened again. They get back on level terms and, OK, it was a fantastic goal from Harlem. But this is where you really need leadership. Thiago Silva, you need the big players on the pitch. Marco Verratti, those senior players, just to settle everybody down and just to get the composure back and just to keep it tight and compact. And it wasn't. Harlem was given so much time and space to hit, uh, you know, to, to run onto it and hit that. It's, it's it's frustrating because these lessons are not being learned and these are the fine details at this level which make the difference. And like I say, unless you're going to learn from these mistakes, then it's just going to be another exit on the cards. Jeremy Smith, uh, Lee was talking there about the attacking performance of PSG not really getting at Dortmund. 
and I feel like every time there's a, a loss at PSG, all the cracks just get exposed, and then all the all the antics start to happen off the pitch. Neymar was one that was talking and saying that he was unhappy with the club for him not playing against Amiens or Dijon. He said that it wasn't his own choice, but it was more a selection made by the club. Do you think him having those couple matches off after that minor rib injury, do you think that held him back in this match and the PSG's attack as a whole, Jeremy? I'm not sure it did. I think that's been blown a little bit out of proportion. Um, he only had 17 days off, which isn't bad. And, and you know, it's, it's not like he's come back from a serious long-term injury. Um, and also, if he's claiming that he was fit enough to play against Lyon, that was three matches ago. So he's been in training for for practically the whole of that time. So I just, I mean, I, I actually thought he looked like he was carrying a little bit of excess weight. Um, he's had, you know, he had his big birthday party. He had his big fashion parade. Um, it came out today that a lot of his fr- uh, Spanish and Brazilian friends stayed on for the week to have a few more parties. There's always something with him. And it always feels like the football, certainly the football for PSG, is the second most important thing. So, um Firstly, I thought it was disgraceful that he came out and said anything. Secondly, I think it was a very convenient excuse. But at the same time, there probably is some truth to it. And it's kind of symptomatic of all the issues that are going on at PSG. That you've got, um, first of all, a manager who I think, like Emery, probably is still not necessarily being allowed to pick the full team as he would like. Um, But by all accounts, he also wanted Neymar to play against in the last couple of matches, I think. Certainly against Amiens, I think against Dijon in the cup as well. Um, and you know, there's there's mixed reports as to whether it was the medical staff or Leonardo who said that he couldn't. Um, so, firstly, again, it's a bit of a mess that there's so many disagreements in the background, and that um, it's the it's the coach who isn't getting his way when you'd have thought that in terms of stuff that happens on the pitch, it should be. And secondly. It is understandable that they want to protect him after what's happened the last couple of years. But at the same time, um, you know, the, it's it's the word that keeps coming back about PSG. And I think at times has been a little bit overdone. But this word fear, you know, that if, if it's because they were scared of him getting injured again, I think it's, again, just sending all the wrong signals out to their big rivals. Mm. And, and you talk about fear there. Clinton, do you think fear is almost a trait in this PSG team as a whole? I mean, whenever yeah. PSG, you can only think of, of Bremen Tada against Barcelona, whatever the score was. I can't remember, specifically 5-6, or whatever it was, stupidly. Uh, do you think a couple of years on from those events and whatnot and the going out in the last few years and not really succeeding in the Champions League since all the investment, do you think that apprehensiveness and that fear is still to this day really evident in this PSG team? Yeah, I do. I think so. And I think that I was on show again um, earlier this week, um, the game against Dortmund, because you could see the, I don't know, you could feel the nerves. They, they were just nerves. They, and it always seems to happen. It's like when they get get on the continent and, you know, maybe a goal comes in. It reminds me of something, um, of what happened with um, Barcelona last season against Liverpool. Gerard Piquet after the game came out to say that he had PTSD once Origi scored because it was about the same time that um, Dzeko scored the year before and then he started to fear that it was going to happen again and it did happen again and he was terrified. Then there was the video where Jordi Alba was absolutely freaking out in the dressing room at halftime. The score was just 1-0 at that point and he was freaking out. He was in tears and he was scared and it was... It was um, I, I think the pressure had gotten to him at that point. And I use that as an illustration for what PSG are these days in Europe. I mean, when they play league games, the pressure isn't really there. So, of course, they can, they can do what they want to do. They can play and all of that. But once they go on the continent, it's like the weight of the world is on their shoulders. They feel that fear. And that, that um, I don't know, PTSD that, okay, it's going to happen again. We're going to bottle it again. And um, we're going to be out of Europe again. And then everybody's going to say all these things. And then we'll have to apologize. And all of that circus that goes on after every exit. And I feel like, I think this was something that Leonardo was trying to curb earlier when he was talking about the, the game ahead, where he was trying to just reduce the, the pressure on the so, you know what, if we, if we go out in the second round, it means nothing. I mean, 
it's just Champions League. There will always be other opportunities to win it and all of that. I think that's what he was trying to achieve because the pressure is insane. And you could see it. the players are not playing like they normally would because from what you're watching, you're seeing you know, all those players, even Thiago Silva and, and, and Co, who are supposed to be the, you know, older guys, the more experienced guys who, who should be able to handle pressure, they're not able to. And I think being able to handle pressure is one of the most important things in the Champions League. When you look at um, the Real Madrid team that did the three-peats, you look at Cristiano Ronaldo in the team, you look at Sergio Ramos in the team, those are players that thrive on pressure. When, you know, everywhere is hostile and all of that, that's when they come to the fore. But you look at PSG and you're trying to think of, you know, characters like that. And for me, I think the few people I can think of are maybe Neymar. Neymar, because we've seen him do it before, under pressure. Um, Mbappe, a little, but even he, he can't, I mean, I don't think he's at that, that level yet where he has that kind of character. So that's one thing that they also have to fix. And they also have to stop looking at um, Champions League as an obsession, like, oh, um, we're going to be judged on just the Champions League. So this this game, this one game, this one tie, it validates everything that we've done throughout the season or it completely you know, destroys it. Because when you start thinking in terms of that, I mean, they have to think about this. When the um, Real Madrid team were assembled in 2009, it took them five years to win the Champions League. They kept going out every year. That's the expensive Real Madrid team. It took them five years. Most of the people who have won the Champions League in the last decade or more have, you know, have won it after a lot of years of waiting and trying and trying and trying again because it doesn't happen overnight. But when you make, when you build a squad or a team for the, specifically for the Champions League every summer, every summer you're trying to create a team that can win the Champions League, then I think that that's when problems arise and that's when the pressure gets to you. But when you're thinking more long-term, you're thinking, okay, our long-term goal is to win Champions League, but we have to take it step by step. We have to build a squad. I mean, when the Neymar and Mbappe transfers happened in summer 2017, it was, we're buying these two superstars because we want to win you know, the Champions League. But there were obvious deficiencies in the squad as a whole. The squad wasn't really strong you know, in all areas. There were weaknesses everywhere. But it was more about, okay, let's just patch it here and patch it here and just try to win the Champions League. It doesn't happen like that, unfortunately. And I think all of this just adds to the pressure and you can see it. The nerves are so much. And it was on straight gain. And, you know, before, I remember in some episodes, um, in a former episode that we did months ago, I mentioned that, you know, PSG had a shot. I think it was with um, Pierre Paul. I mentioned that PSG have a shot because they have a really good team this time around and all of that. But after seeing the game on Tuesday, I, I changed my mind because I said, I'm still seeing the same issues that I've always seen. First, the nerves, and then a manager that doesn't seem competent. You know, it seems very out of depth at this level. So with that, I think um, it's a big problem, really. I don't know how they're going to do the second leg, but I hope they make it through. Can I just say, I, I don't, I agree with a lot of that, but not entirely, because I, I don't, I think actually the nerves came from Leonardo. I think that that statement that he came out with a couple of weeks ago is ridiculous. And although the idea of it was to take off the pressure and yeah. show that PSG weren't scared, I think actually it had completely the opposite effect. But in terms of the players, I'd like to show more nerves. I mean, you hear footballers, you hear musicians, you hear everyone say nerves are a good thing. They help you focus, they help you kind of perform mm. to your best. I don't think there's enough. I think Thiago Silva shows nerves and a complete lack of leadership yet again. And I actually yeah. think that the change of formation was purely to protect him, which was ridiculous. They needed three players in midfield. Witzel and um, Chan completely ran the midfield. And I think they only put three in defence because they were spooked because Silva was so bad against Damian. But he, he, I think, has a history of showing nerves. But I'd actually like to see a little bit more nerves from the rest of the team. Neymar's been there and done that. You can't accuse him of having nerves. I think he's just as usual. He was being a bit selfish and trying to do it all himself without actually breaking into a run all match, which is ridiculous. Verratti, I mean, I think he should get the sack for misconduct. It's ridiculous now. He's been in the Champions League for PSG eight seasons now. And in seven of those seasons, he's had to serve a Champions League ban. That's not nerves. That's just rank stupidity. Um, you know, as Lee said, for 80 minutes or so, I thought he was fantastic. The best, 
PSG's best player by far. Some of the sort of last-ditch blocking and coming back and helping out the defence was brilliant. But then for about 10 minutes, you could it, it, you knew that that booking was coming. He was looking for that booking, and that's not good enough. I mean, you could also argue that maybe Tuchel should have taken him off. It was crazy that Tuchel only made one substitution, especially when after yeah. the match claimed about how it's not fair that Dortmund have played more matches, uh, fewer matches and they've had a longer rest and all that rubbish. Um, but for me, it's the play, It's not for the players, it's not a question of nerves. It's, I don't know if it's arrogance or not actually wanting it enough. I'm not sure what it is, but um, yeah, I'd like to see a little bit more of more sort of nervous energy there. Honestly, you could just release Jeremy Smith into the halftime team talk and they'd have about three Champions League <laughs> trophies by now, honestly. Uh, <laughs> right, Lee, I understand you have to shoot off in just a moment, but just before we go, what do you rate the chances for PSG going into this second half? Do you think that they are still in with a good chance of progressing into the next round? Yeah, of course, absolutely. It's 2-1 with an away goal um, and, you know, I'd rather be in PSG's position than in, in Liverpool's position, for example, without an away goal and playing against a team that's defensively very, very well organised. So PSG know they can get it at, um, at Dortmund. And I think we'll, having followed this team for so many years, I think we'll know within the first five to ten minutes how the game's going to go. And the first five or ten, ten minutes will shape that second leg. Um, I personally, and... You know, I've been a pessimist from time to time with this team, and, and, and rightly so, because they can't be trusted. They can't be trusted in knockouts, uh, in Champions League knockout games. Um, but I'm actually quite quite optimistic. I think PSG are going are to go through, and I think they'll win well. Um, I don't know why. I can't. If you're asking me why, I don't know. I just <laughs> in the PSG. I, I, I've got nothing <laughs> to back up why. But I've just got a feeling that they're going to go out and perform, and and I, and I do because. This game's huge. This game's huge for the club, for the future of the club, for this cycle of players. Um, if PSG were to go out at this stage, then, you know, some of these big players will certainly be looking for, uh, for, for, for a way out. Certain players will. And um, not that that would be a bad thing, by the way. Um, it would spell the end of the manager again. Um, and probably the end of this cycle um, at this part of this project in inverted commas. So, so much hinges on that 90 minutes or 180, however long it goes. But I do fancy PSG to go through and the park is going to have to, you know, the, the fans will do their part as they do everywhere they go and it will be a hell of a night and I'll be there looking forward to it. And it's, you know, I, I just hope that they can get over this and, and you know, really perform where when they need to, because you don't know what you're going to get from this team. It's like a complete lottery at this stage. You just don't know what you're going to get from what type of performance you're going to get. I mean, look at Man United home game last year, you know, the remontada in Barcelona. Nobody expected it. And I just feel that maybe, maybe with PSG, I'm not going to say with the pressure off, but not being in a comfortable commanding position going in to this second, to this second leg, maybe they'll just go out and just hopefully put on a performance that we all know that they're capable of doing. Let's just wait and see. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to try and, you know, predict scores or anything like that. I'd take a one nil. I really would a nervy one nil, whatever it takes to go through, <laughs> whatever it takes to go through. I just hope it happens. Not just PSG, but as we alluded to at the start of the show, French football again, you know, to, to have to have nobody in the latter stages, you know, quarterfinals of, of, of European competition again would be an absolute disaster. So I just hope that they can do it for themselves, obviously. And but obviously for French football uh, as a whole, I think it would be a real, real boost. Well, and the Thursday in a couple of weeks when. Dortmund have uh, won three 0 and Haaland is getting his move to Madrid. We'll have you back on Lee to dissect <laughs> that defeat. Uh, okay, thanks a lot. I know you have to jump off, but thanks a lot for jumping on. Dude. Cheers, thanks guys. Take care. Thank you. Okay, now Jeremy, what do you think their chances are? Uh, Lee was quite optimistic, which I think is rare when talking about PSG in Europe. But what do you think their chances are? Are you as optimistic? Um, probably not as optimistic, but. 
the fact is that they, this tie should be over. They were so lucky to get, probably before the match, they'd have taken a 2-1. But considering how the match actually went, they were so lucky to get away with that. And um, I, I kind of think, you know, the remontada against Barcelona and the Man United match, it was when they got nervous trying to defend a lead. So maybe having something to chase might, might do them some good. Um, so I, I, think they, I think they'll win the match. I don't think it will be a comfortable win because I still think their defence is dodgy and however dodgy Dortmund's is, um, they've clearly got a rampant attack as well. So um, I can see Dortmund getting at least one away goal, which will make it difficult. I'll try to be optimistic and say PSG will go through, but I'm not absolutely convinced. Mr Wiseman, do you share those thoughts? Uh, I don't think they'll go through. You don't uh, really. No, I, I'm just I'm quite negative about PSG to be honest. <laughs> and with Verratti, Verratti suspended, who was, I mean, by far their best player. Um, I, that midfield just looks unbalanced. How they set it up now, and you lose a lot of the qualities that he that he does bring to the team. So I don't think they'll go through now. And Clinton, are you optimistic, pessimistic about uh, PSG going into this game? I'm very pessimistic. <laughs> I used to be. I mean, earlier in the season, everyone knows I was very optimistic about this team. I mean, this time around, especially after the Real Madrid game and the fact that they signed um, Gay and Herrera and those guys I felt could come in to do the dirty jobs while um, Verratti could be free to you know, express himself. But after seeing that game, I think my pessimism just kicked in immediately because, first of all, Gay was uh, brought in to be able to you know, do the dirty, dirty work. But it ended up being Verratti doing all of that. Verratti did all of Goya's work. He yes. had all the recoveries, had all the dwells, ground dwells, everything, and tackles. He had eight tackles. Um, Goya had about three. There's no reason why Verratti should be having eight tackles in a game when he has Goya beside him. And now in the second leg, there's going to be no Verratti. Um, we can always expect that Tioko will do something very weird. Um, Thiago Silva looks very off and um, I think if he doesn't play if Tico doesn't play Marquinhos in midfield there's going to be a problem if he doesn't play a back four there's going to be a problem if he doesn't play a three-man midfield there's going to be a problem so many problems that you can foresee would be self-inflicted by Tico himself and then obviously we don't know if Neymar will be, up to, will be back to his full form by then because I mean he's been out of football for like two, three weeks and he didn't look very good that day. And then if Tuko goes and plays Mbappe as a, you know, so nine up front, there's going to be a problem. So I'm just seeing too many problems and I'm not seeing how they can get out of that. And also, I think they're going to be very, they'll probably go for it and Dortmund are going to hit them on the countdown. Dortmund are so good on the counter. So I'm very, very pessimistic. Personally, I'm, for for once in my life, I'm going to say that PSG don't go through. Because, I mean, I predicted they would go through in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. <laughs> and every single time. In fact, last year, I suffered a lot on Twitter because immediately that Manchester United game was over. Everybody came for me because I did. <laughs> I, I threw the Premier League after the first leg. And then my mentions were just a mess. And I was like, oh, my God, look at what PSG have done to me. Like, I'm never PSG fan. What's going on here? So this time around, I'm going to be very pessimistic. So, I mean, I, I lose nothing by being pessimistic. But I, it would be so bad for French football if, you know, PSG go out again. It would be so embarrassing. Mm. Because obviously, Lyon, Lyon, Lyon lose. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay. Quick note, something I, w- I want to bring up just before we move on to some of the league games. It's actually not to do with PSG, but more to do with Dortmund and specifically the manager, Lucien Favre. Um, Jeremy, I want to come to you specifically on this one. I feel like everyone's praising, you know, Erling Haaland, Jaden Sancho, Julian Brandt and, and the Borussia Dortmund individuals and, and squad and team. They're one of very few teams and clubs that are doing well right now that you very rarely see praise for their manager, you know. Every time Atletico Madrid have a good game, oh, Simeone, what a great guy, you know. Every time Liverpool have a great game, it's OMG, Klopp, what a manager. But I feel like Lucien Favre sometimes goes, kind of slips through the net 
when we're talking about top managers in world football, you know, through his career, the Swiss has had good stints in Germany. I believe he was at Munchen Gladbach. Turned Nice into quite a good team, got them into Europe. He turned Mario Balotelli into the best striker in Europe. Don't question me on that. Um, Alison Plea, he took to new heights. Jeremy, do you think generally he's quite underappreciated in world football? I mean, very rarely do you hear him in the running for the top, top jobs. No, I don't. <laughs> um, I, I, I think he's a little bit of a Bielsa type, I guess, that depending on your, your view of Bielsa, you can take that as a compliment or as an insult. Um, I, he's a good manager. I, he's an extremely good manager. He's never particular. This is probably the first time that you could say that he's managing a team that really should be challenging for things. Where, wherever he's gone, he's got them. He's helped the team to improve massively um, and to to kind of challenge at least for Europe, not really for titles, but for Europe. But also, he seems so kind of intense that after maybe two and a half, three years, it always seems to kind of go to pot. Um, it hasn't yet exactly happened with Dortmund, but earlier in the season, he was under a lot of pressure. And the fact is, you, they're, they're there or thereabouts in the title race. But considering that, they're, to me, they're clearly the second best team on paper after Bayern Munich and Bayern have had a poor season so far. Um, so I, the fact that they're kind of in the middle of a title race with four other teams, actually, I don't think is impressive. I think he's underperformed at Dortmund. Um, and as great as the attacking is, the defence is absolutely horrific. And that's just as important a part of football. Maybe not so much if you're a neutral watching the match, you want to see more attacking football. But, um, you know, if a team aspires to win things, they've got to be stronger in defence. And you look at that match a couple of weeks ago against Leverkusen, where they're 3-2 up with 10 minutes to go, and they lose 4-3. There's been too much of that with Dortmund the last couple of years. Last year, they pretty much threw away the title. They were comfortably in the lead um, into the second half of the season and, and collapsed. So I think he gets probably just about the right amount of credit because I think he is very well respected. Um, but I don't think he's done anything yet to, to deserve to really be talked about as top class. And although the team did very well the, the other day, and got to give him some credit basically what they did is play the um the formation that they've been playing all season so they were comfortable with it and they're <laughs> playing it against the team that were playing a formation they'd never played before bloody spoil sport honestly uh, <laughs> i did look i do like him and you know there's a lot of people calling for him to go to leon i think that would be great i'd love to see leon playing his style of football but I'm just not sure that he's an absolutely top-class manager. Let's move on to some of the Ligue 1 games that are set to be played this week. Marseille versus Nantes. I feel like when Marseille beat Lille last week 2-1, they were 1-0 down for much of the game. Everyone, at least online, just went into a frenzy saying, oh, how good this team is. And Andre Villas-Boas, he's so good. And Benedetto's great. And, you know, imagine this team if, if Payet had been playing. And, and when Tovan comes back, firstly... Thomas, are they as good as everyone's hyping them up for right now? Or is it more Marseille are doing well because they don't have the shackles of, of European football to tend with? Um, I mean, I guess it's probably both. Because if they had European football, they would be struggling. I think they've got such a large gap. The limited squad they had at the moment and the way they're playing. I mean, Rangier is just <laughs> 90 minutes of, of covering a lot of ground. Um, I don't, I, I don't think they, they keep this up, this this run they've got up. Um, but I think the the gap they've got at the moment probably secures them that that Champions League spot. Um, I think it's it's got to be down to Vias Boas, um, a, a, a large part of it, and the ways sort of instilled just, just a a good continuity and confidence within the squad that we haven't seen from Marseille. Um, for quite a while, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how how they do fare towards the end of the season. Um, but they definitely are, you know, they deserve deserve the uh, the plaudits they're getting at the moment. After this win for Marseille, there was lots of photos in the changing room after with players celebrating and and Andre Villas Boas, and amongst everyone seemed like a real unit. Uh, Jeremy, do you think this idea of team unity is as important as people say, you know, that idea that everyone's pulled in the same direction, or do you think it's a little bit overrated? I mean, how would you compare the, the team spirit, you could say, that Marseille have now, as opposed to last season under Rudy Garcia? 
Well, if only you could think of another French team that doesn't seem to have the same kind of team spirit. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think it makes, well, I mean, it depends what kind of team you've got, but when you've got a small squad like Villas-Boas has got and you've got, you haven't been able to make any major signings and you're basically playing the whole season with sort of 15, 16 players in the squad, then I think you've got to have that. You've got to have everyone pulling in the same direction and, you know, helping each other out, covering if someone makes a mistake, not sort of bawling them out if they make a mistake, that kind of thing. Um, to, to have a sort of fighting chance. You know, that they're, at some point, you would think that they're going to start showing um, kind of tiredness because they're, none of them are getting a rest. So they're, again, sort of, you know, being there to cover each other, as Thomas said, the, the way that Rangier is playing, kind of, you know, just being everywhere to help all his teammates out. I think it does make a difference. And um, I think you probably, obviously, you notice less when a team is playing well together you notice more that when there's clearly issues within the team that things don't go so well um but certainly the the team's purring at the moment and it's not the best football in the world that's fine it's not the greatest team on paper in the world but it just shows that um yeah with a decent team spirit and with everyone sort of understanding what the manager wants doing what the manager wants um with a, a moody overweight winger who suddenly cares because there's a chance of playing in an international tournament again that helps as well um so yeah i think that they're in an amazing place and i'm not sure anyone would have predicted it at the start of the season and arguably it is also down to how badly some other teams are doing but you can only you know you can only win your matches and then it's up to others to keep up and this i think was a huge win for them because you know if, if lillard won that i I can't remember exactly the points, but they'd have not been that far behind Marseille. Um, this way, Marseille have got this, a really big cushion now in in second. It gives them a lot of um, sort of breathing room for if they do tire a little bit and a couple of results go the wrong way. And um, yeah, good for them. I, th- I mean, for me, Villas-Boas has been by a country mile the, the coach of the year in France. Hmm. And uh, Thomas, do you think going forward with Marseille, say a couple of players leave in the summer. I know Morgan Sanson's been on a lot of the scouting books for a lot of players. I'm sure Bubagar Kamara will have a couple bids coming in, even though I've not actually heard of a lot of actual actual bids coming in for the guy. Payet will be a year older and they'll also have to contend with potentially Champions League or at least Europa League football. Do you see this team being capable of keeping up this momentum or do you think it'll be another case like Lille have had where, you know, they were fantastic last season, second, and then Pepe goes, Mendes goes, Coney goes, and they're, they're sent fourth and a little bit lackadaisical. What do you think, Thomas? Uh, I guess it depends on the, the outgoings they have. But when you look at that squad, there's not actually, in comparison to... Um, teams like Lille in the past, there's not actually that many players that sort of stand out that, that you think, oh yeah, that person will get a, get a, a transfer away. Um, it's only, I guess, players like, you know, Maxim Lopez, who really isn't that important um, to the, how the team play. Uh, I don't see Payet go anywhere, but he might be tired from playing at the Euros. Um, Tovan obviously hasn't played uh, all season, it doesn't seem to affect the squad. It's just about building, building up a, a, a larger group of players. Because I don't think anybody's going to be coming in this summer for something like Radonic, um just yet. They've just got a good middle ground of not many players are actually that. I don't know, rec- not recognisable, but not that attractive prospects yet. In yeah, and I know what you mean. It's like they're not a team of individuals. They're very much like a, it's like a unit. Yeah. Forward, yeah. it's not as if guys dragging them forward like like the attack of Lille did last season, or the, there was you know there were players that were stand out. It's like for Marseille, their squad's actually not that good, but they all just seem to be playing really well right now. Like, would you say mm-hmm. Jordan Amavi or Haroki Sakai would be getting into loads of other teams in Europe? Probably not. You know, like Valer Germain, Bunasar, like you know, I mean, it's not as if it's a star-studded. 11 players on the pitch, you know what I mean? So maybe they might actually be a bit lucky in that, where they don't lose their entire spine going into the summer. And Clinton, with all the good things that Marseille are doing right now, how big of a boost will Florian Tovan be when he does return to the team? I saw that he's returned to training this week, but it'll probably be another, I'm guessing, like a week and a half before he actually comes into the team. 
the best signing you could get at the latter stages of a season, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'm a very, very huge fan of Dovan, so I'm <laughs> with, I probably sound like someone in love with him or something, but um, <laughs> I think he immediately improves the team. There, there's so much missing for, for Marseille. I said it the other day that when they played against Lyon, they really didn't have any real um, width. They didn't have any natural winger on the pitch. It was Maxim Lopez and Payet and all of that. And those guys, they don't really think like wingers. They don't really think like forwards per se. They like to, you know, give that width or something. They don't think like that. They think more in terms of coming to the center. And um, Tovan sort of gives you that width because he can take on players wide and then bring the ball to the center or something like that. But I think they just really had Radonjic that day. And it was it was showing there were some runs that um, those guys were supposed to be making and they couldn't make it. And Lyon were playing such a high line and they couldn't take advantage of that because they didn't have people who were thinking like that. But when you have someone like Tovan coming back, first of all, his quality He's a very is a top player. He's obviously their best player in my opinion. And then what he adds on the pitch in terms of the kind of runs he makes, the kind of positions he takes up, and his one v one ability, then obviously it's it's a huge lift for Marseille. I think he's going to help them finish very strongly. You know, if he's, if he comes back and hits the ground running, I mean, obviously it's going to take a while for him because he's not played in months. But uh, I think once he's up to speed and match fit and all of that, he's going to be very, very good for them. So, yeah, it's great it's great news for them. Mm. Let's look at the opponents for a little moment of Marseille in this match. It'll be uh, the Canaries, Nantes, for this game, uh, Christian Gurkouf's men. And I've been looking at a couple of their games recently and, and a couple of their results, and they are in a little bit of a lull right now. They've not won in their last six matches in all competitions. But recently, they have had some, you could say, impressive performances rather than, rather than results. They narrowly lost 3-2 to Rennes with you know that crazy game where everyone was just scoring in the last minute. They gave PSG a really good game, had their chances, only lost 2-1. And the same with Leon, 3-4 they lost. Jeremy, what's holding this non-side back from being a team of a higher level, you think, if they can perform so well against those class teams like PSG and Rennes and Lyon? It's actually a bit of a surprise to see that in recent matches they've been scoring quite a lot because we still always associate the Nantes team for the last three or four years, actually, but particularly under Gokouf, I think, of being relatively turgid, not not the best to watch. Um, but they do, I think they've got a couple of fantastic young players in Simon and Bamba. Um, and I think one of the things they're missing is a, is a really top out-and-out centre-forward that you can really rely on week in, week out. They're, they're almost there. They're, there's, I think, you know, certainly earlier in the season, they were similar to Marseille. I think they were really showing that they were doing well playing as a team and, and kind of um, being sort of better than the sum of their parts. Um, is that the right phrase? You know what I mean. Like this is the, <laughs> the team played better than than you'd expect from the the the, the players. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, recently it's gone off a little bit, and and yeah, the, you look at all the, the their last sort of six results or so. They haven't lost any of them by by more than a match. They the last two have been draws. Um, to be honest, against Mets, they didn't really do much to to deserve a win which generally when you're playing mess at home, you'd expect to come away with three points. Um, but yeah, it just feels like they're, they're almost there. And I hope that Gorkouf is kind of given time to, um, to, to work with, with what he's got. But um, with, with Keita in charge, I think the problem with Not is that nothing in that club is stable. You know, that you look at how, Keita pushed to, to sell Salah last year. He was pushing this summer to, to get rid of, um, I think it was Kuli Bali. He's, he's, I don't know, he's, he doesn't seem interested at all in, in the club actually having footballing success. I think he's just interested in money-making opportunities. And um, I think without someone who at least is partly invested in the team actually doing well, I think it's difficult even... Um, you know, the, with the best will in the world for for the manager and for the players, I think sometimes it's difficult for them to to really push on. But yeah, certainly with um 
like I said, Seymour, Bamba, Blas, I think, has, has had a good season. Coco's obviously been really unlucky in terms of injuries. But there are some very good players in the team. And if they can have a chance to sort of kind of settle and have a good couple of years altogether, and like I said, maybe find a, a really good out-and-out striker, then there's no reason why they can't start pushing again for European places. Mm. So Nantes currently sit 12th in league in the same position that they finished last season. Thomas, do you think that fans will be happier at the moment as they are under Christian Gurkouf, or do you think they would have preferred to still have Vahid Halhodzic at the reins as he was last season? You know, and, and especially towards the end of their season, they put in some really good games under Halhodzic and looked as if they were really going somewhere, but then was obviously cut in the summer. Where do you think fans will, will stand on this in preference between the two managers? <clears throat> That's a tricky one. Um, I preferred Halis Hodgett uh, as, as a as a character more. Um, it would have been interesting to see what he'd have done with... Because the, the squad from last season has got quite a few more interesting players like Simon, uh, Bamba's come into the squad, they've got um, Ludwig Blass and and uh, loser as well. So it would be interesting to see what Hyde Hodges has done with it. I'm always kind of bored of Gorkuf, um, but I'm not sure non fans will have two two controversial opinions on on either manager. Okay, let's go into your score predictions for this game. Marseille versus Nantes. This one is going to be in Marseille on this on the south coast of the country. Clinton, I'll start with you. How do you see this game finishing? Marseille win 2-1. Very stoic, very just matter of fact from you there, sir. <laughs> Thomas, how do you see this one going? Uh, Marseille 1-0. Uh, really quite quite tight? You don't think they'll be able yeah. to give Nantes a little bit of a run around? No, no, I don't think so. I think Nantes... Not... It's, it's interesting that they're scoring a few goals, but they might revert to time. Hmm. And Jeremy, are you are you more optimistic for Marseille, or do you think Nantes could give them a bit of a chance here? Could give could give them a bit of a game? I think it's going to be pretty dour. Um, Payet will score a worldie to sort of release the tension. Then Radonjic will score in the 89th minute, and that like is the best player in the world, and they'll win two nil. A flat, a flattering two nil. I tell you, Radonjic has probably got like a better goals per minutes ratio than Haaland, honestly. He's he only like, plays like 10 minutes of a game, always contributes. He's like the new Guido Carrillo. He scores, none of his goals matter. Yeah. That's a great comparison. I love that. He's That's a great. bloody match winner and I love him. Uh, I'm going to go... Ah, I think Marseille will win, but I don't know. Nantes seem like a bit of a team that get up for the big games but can't handle Dijon on a Wednesday night and their trips to mates and all that stuff um, I still think they'll probably give them a bit of a game but yeah I'll go 2-1 Marseille, I don't know, Marseille I don't think have been overly defensively oh, no, they've, they've been alright actually I'll go, I'll go like 2-0, 2-0 Marseille let's go with that, that seems safe uh, Right, our other game to cover is Lille versus Toulouse Lille obviously were on the other side of that defeat to Marseille, losing 2-1 in that match, despite leading through Victor Simhen's goal in the 51st minute. Up against it here, they'll be playing against the worst team in the league, sitting bottom. So, Clinton, do you think this is almost like a big test for Lille? You know, they've slightly been off the pace this season, just with everything that's been going on. Do you think it's a big test for Galtier generally, that after the Marseille win, they have to just go and absolutely smash this team? Yeah, I, I do. Um, obviously, the table doesn't show it, but Toulouse have been much better in the last few weeks. I think they've played much better. And I think um, Sangare is probably playing the best boy has played this season. Um, so it's not going to be as easy as it looks. Obviously, Toulouse have been losing a lot, but I think it's going to be a very, very, very big challenge. Toulouse have been going strong. You know, in the last few weeks, and obviously the results haven't been going their way, but they've been putting in very good performances, in my opinion. So um, I think it will be a somewhat tough game, but they should be able to see it through. And for this game, I feel like Lille, you know, they've slightly slowed down in recent weeks. They've not had the best start to 2020. Do you think, Jeremy, that they need kind of a big 
end of the season to keep the wheels in motion to keep you know this lost gun limited project going you know you know i feel the owners want it to keep going you know this idea of progressing players and selling them on but also having success on the pitch do you think they of all teams need one of the biggest ends to this campaign generally um to, to an extent, yeah. I mean, I think so far this season's been very up and down, and I think that's kind of fair enough considering that they had you know, at least two, three of their most important players from last year um, leave in the summer. Um, and I'm, to be honest, I, I, they're probably in a better position now than than I expected them to be at uh, this stage of the season. Remember, like if they if they drawn against Marseille, they they'd be third now. I think. So they're, they're, you know, they're they're right up there, and and I'd have expected them to be a little more kind of mid-table, um, considering that there was an obvious sort of adaptation period at the start of the season. But um, now, you know, those excuses sort of wear thinner and thinner as the season goes on. They've now been playing together for for, for a long time, and and you'd expect them to push on now. And mostly their, their home form has been fantastic. It's the away form that, that's been poor. Um, but yeah, I think if they can just be a little bit tighter away from home and, and get a few results, I could still see them finishing in the top three. And do you think this idea for the, for Lille, you know, I mean, since the new ownership and whatnot over the last year or so under Galtier, where everything's kind of calmed down after the Bielsa era and whatnot, it seems like this long-term project that they talked about, this Lost Limited, is getting underway with them. But do you think generally with this goal to build up players to a fantastic degree like Pepe and Mendes and then sell them on, which will probably happen this season with a Simhen, might stay for another year, but you know it could happen with them. Do you think just generally that <clears throat> inhibits them as a team Forever building anything, you know, they're never going to build up a, a squad like, for instance, like what Clinton was saying earlier about uh, Madrid and the Champions League building up this team for five years and then you finally reap the rewards of that. Do you think just generally with them selling all these players, they will never be able to fully reach the heights just because they don't have this settled squad, Jeremy? I think it's the problem for for most French teams and that's the problem in Europe as well. There's only PSG. Lyon, Monaco and maybe Marseille to an extent but not really at the moment uh, able to have any continuity by by having the same players from from one season to the next or the good players from one season to the next I think um, sometimes I think maybe you know even Lyon do it and Monaco obviously I think sometimes they're, they're a little bit too quick and too keen to, to sell their players for a big profit um, but but generally I think a lot, there was something. There was an article about it this week. Most of the French teams are still sort of functioning on a loss, and and are looking to make money wherever they can. So, um, it's I think it's it's very difficult to to see any team apart from the top two or three maybe have two decent seasons in a row because they're almost certainly going to lose all their decent players in the summer in between. Okay, let's talk about the opponents for this match. As uh, Clinton alluded to a little bit earlier, Toulouse have a new manager uh, taking the reins, Denis Zanko. He was previously the reserves team coach and he's been brought up to be their third manager of the season, which is quite funny, to be honest. He was brought in and, you know, when Toulouse were a bit more used to losing... 3-0 3-0 to Nice, 4-1 to Lyon, 4-2 to Strasbourg, leaking goals like nothing else. A bit more recently, it seems as if things have been a bit more together. You know, 0-0 draw with Amiens, a 1-0 loss to Strasbourg, only losing 1-0 to Marseille. The Nice game recently was a bit more of an awkward run because they went down to nine men and missed a penalty. But do you think generally there have been improvements at Toulouse and do you see that first win in quite a while just coming over the hill? Uh, not in this game, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, they'll probably win by the end of the season. And I looked at the previous games, and in the last fourteen games, guess how many? This is in the league. Guess how many they didn't? They haven't not lost. No, haven't guess many, not. Guess how many games? Can many I get games. a translation from Manchester coming in, please? <laughs> guess how many of the fourteen games they played? They they've not lost. Is it one draw? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the draw against Amiens um, not long ago and that was it the, uh, I, 
the issue is is because they've not been as bad as the points total does show at the moment. But even if they do improve, it's going to have to be radical improvement for them to get anywhere close to saving themselves from relegation. And we've been saying this for quite a long time now. You know, we said that when the Gridell goals dried out, they were struggle. He's, he's now no longer scoring, they're struggling. And we said when losing Diop was uh, difficult for the defence and even losing Julian might be even worse. They've done both. Have they replaced them? No, not really. Um, the, it's, it's. I think, I, I don't expect them to, to survive, to be honest. And they're going to lose a hell of a lot of players in the summer. Sangare, easy. Easily gone. Um, Gridel will be go somewhere. Dosevi will go somewhere. Uh, even pl- young players like Dikite, Amiel, they'll find other clubs. Um, and it does depend on how they reinvest to see how they come back up. If they do come back up, I don't think they do actually, because um, league that is is a difficult league. Um, it's not as as easy as it probably used to be a couple of years ago. I mean, just take an example of, of some of the teams right now. You've got last season's relegated teams, Gangomp and, and Caen. They are 7th and 14th um, in the division. Um, and uh, I was looking at the Nationals of the third tier and both teams that were relegated from Ligue 2 last season, uh, Ajaccio and Bezier, are in the relegation spots in the third tier. So <laughs> when they do get relegated... I wouldn't expect to see them back in league as soon. Yeah, Thomas, you mentioned there some of the players that could leave. Do you think if Toulouse, like you're slightly alluding to there, do go down, that could be like almost like a cataclysmic drop for this club? You have to remember, over a couple of years ago, they were in Europe. They were in Europe, and now they're battling for survival with the potential. So here's a couple of players that... I picked out that could be going uh, on top of the ones that you said. So, uh, obviously, Amion, like you said, Sangari's the big one. Where's he going to go? He has the picks of, like, the tier just below the top clubs in Europe, I think, to go to. Wesley Said can be good. Leia Aseka's all right. Uh, Dosevi has got surprisingly good, like, build-up and assist numbers this season. Baptiste Rene, um, also my favourite player, Ethnis <laughs> Kalura, so he could, could go anywhere. Honestly, I'm thinking either Madrid or Barcelona for Kalouris. I'm still not decided yet, though. But but just generally, if they go down, lose all those players, and like you said, those other teams that just drop like stones, they could be played not just in Ligue 2, but maybe in the third or even fourth tier like France, like French teams sometimes do. If they do go down, it could be quite catastrophic for them, Thomas. I'm not sure it'll become that bad. Um, because a lot I of the teams... You've got some... See, when you start looking down, like when you see the cup games, some of the teams that are down there... With, some yeah, Bastia, Bastia, that's the one. Clubs just drop like stones sometimes. You even see it in Scotland a little bit and England as well when the amount of teams that were in the top tier now playing like the third tier. It's, it's ludicrous. Think, yeah, I think the just the sales. I mean, with with some of them teams, it has been the clubs completely disappeared um, because of financial yeah, I think issues. I think, was that. Yeah, but yeah, Bastia was that. Um, but I don't think Toulouse dropped that badly because they'll they'll they still will. Obviously, make as much money as they did if they stayed up on some of the players. But um, Sangara will still go. There'll be quite a bid in war for him, I suspect. Um, but they, they, they're going to, they're going to struggle in 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 league to, uh, to get to get promoted straight back uh, straight away. So, it could be a good few years. Mm. Clinton, do you share those those thoughts on Toulouse that they have very little chance of staying up? Do, do you think that nil nil draw with Amion was almost like their last chance? to start a, a big run to, towards the end of the season, Clinton? Yeah, I think that that was probably the last chance. But um, it was also important for them to stop the losing streak because it was just getting more depressing. So I get that they must have been happy to get one point out of that. But then they've not really won anything. And their efforts have been so difficult. And I think they've done well enough in those games, but it's just not good enough. They really should have gotten a draw last weekend. But then they messed that up. So um, in terms of their immediate future, I, I, I think once they go down, it's just going to get worse because everybody is going, is going including Yaya Sanugu. <laughs> everybody is going. So <laughs> once that happens, then they might have to 
you know, focus on their their um, youth again, bringing up you know players from their academy and, and stuff like that. And it's going to it's never going to be easy for them. But um, it might, if they have a good plan though, they have a good plan in place after the sales, they will probably be able to come back in maybe two years or three years or something. But if they don't, then it's just going to be downhill from there. I wouldn't be surprised to see them in third tier in in three four years. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's see your score predictions if if Lille are going to contribute to the relegation here. <laughs> Jeremy, I'll start with you. Uh, how do you see this one between Lille and Toulouse finishing? Uh, it's got to be an easy Lille win. I'm going 3-0. Thomas, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go a bit more optimistic, 3-1. I really think Toulouse will get in the score sheet. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think so. And Clinton, how do you see this one going? 2-0. I think to lose, of course. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I gotta say, man, I'm not as confident of Lille going into this game. The, the loss against Marseille is quite hurting. They didn't look great against Angers or Rennes. You know, they've been a little bit tighter recently. Lost to Epinal in the cup. Um, I don't know. I think <laughs> I honestly think Toulouse could get the first win here. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Wow. Honest. Honestly, okay. I just think something stupidly happened. Lille haven't been fantastically as consistent. I, I think if it was in Toulouse, they'd have a bit more of a chance. The only thing that's holding me back is because this game will be at the <clears throat> at the Marois. But I don't know, man. Toulouse have been improving a little bit recently. The only thing is they just can't yeah. bloody score. The last time um, Toulouse scored was 11th of January in their 5-2 defeat to Brest. Who scored the goals? Two goals from bloody Bafori Diakati, the big centre-half. Like, honestly, I wonder if he's, like, in their top scorers and amongst it. No, I don't know. Also, Kaloudis hasn't been starting for, for Toulouse recently. What the hell is that about? He's literally, like, one of, their best, one of their best attackers. Don't get it. But generally, I think Toulouse could be in with a chance. I'm not even joking. I think, like, something like nil-nil or, 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 or 1-1 or something. Is that dumb? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, never mind. 4-0 deal. Uh, <laughs> right. And that wraps us up. Thank you very much for listening once again. If you are seeking more information on all things football news and French, please do go to getfootballnewsfrance.com and you can find all your articles and your opinion pieces and all that jazz on there. You can also find us on Twitter at GFFN alongside these three wonderful gentlemen. Type their name, you'll find it somewhere. And also on Twitter recently, GFFN have partnered up with Instat and they'll be doing the regular team of the weeks using Instat's index to judge their players. So in the week just gone there, big ones that stood out for me were Otavio for Bordeaux, who I think's bloody class, and also Christophe Harel for Nice, who I really like. I'm glad that he's getting back into form after some injury issues. But do check that out. It's, it's really interesting to see what the deep stats kind of show about some of these players I've been Lewis McParland. I've been joined by Clinton McDubis, Thomas Wiseman and Mr. Jeremy Smith. Have a nice weekend and I'll see you next week.